podcast ain't played nobody. As we build towards a more professional sounding program, uh, people ask us who does the intro and why. We used to rotate, and sometimes we forget. I'm doing it today because Bill is eating at the moment. He's trying to finish up a meal. Do you want Probably to plug what you're eating, or do, or do you want to lie and say it's something like, well, no, it's actually pretty healthy, isn't it? Um, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I would say Why Trader Joe's the, Trader Joe's Powerberries, there are worse snacks in the world. My wife left them down here in the office, and so now there aren't going to be any left when I go back upstairs, but that's her what fault, are we, What are we talking, like a, like a fruit snack? What do we got here? It is basically dark chocolate covered, let me grab the package. Real fruit juice pieces made from acia berry, pomegranate, cranberry, and blueberry juices, and dipped in smooth dark chocolate. Okay, that's that's, a, that's on the shopping list. Oh, it's it's they're, they're phenomenal. Um, excellent source of vitamin C, made with dark chocolate, a source of cocoa flavanols. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Sounds all, but that, that sounds amazing. I'm done now, so you know we can be professional. Um, um, uh, we got a ton of submissions for box score bingo. Uh, moving forward, we're going to tag it at the end of every show. We'll do one, maybe two, if time persists. Thank you all for your submissions. Uh, they were sent directly to me, so you guys are following instructions very well. You are hell bent on destroying <laughs> the, the the cyborg mind of Bill Connolly, which is a, you know I'm kind of okay with that attitude. It wasn't even to- like a hey. Everyone said they liked the segment, which was great. But everyone's response was, "I think I can beat him with this." You can't so I will have you. to see it. I will have to see it before I guess, though, because I—I mean, unless I'm just like writing stuff down as you're talking, which I guess I could do. But yeah, do you um, want to do that, or do you want to look at the visual? I, I well, I'm used to looking at visuals. If we want to make it a little more difficult, then I can definitely just start typing really quickly as you read it out. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure as as good as the, the eating berries on a podcast. Yeah, as good as the audio audio is for that, I'm not sure me typing really fast is any better. So your call. Um, I will. Uh, I tell you. Well, you know what? This week I'll give you the image. We'll see if that affects anything. And then what we'll do is, if everyone cries foul, maybe you know, maybe that's too easy for you. Then we'll have to we'll have to dial back. Well, I mean, the difference is whether I, I see the image or whether I'm creating the image on the fly. I've still got to see the. I can't just listen to it. It'll be really hard. As it was for a few people trying to listen and keep up, it would be very hard for, you know. If you are I, trying I, to keep up with us, again, we're, we're tagging it at the end of the show. You can go to the website at SB Nation, and we will put the image on there if, 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 if that's what you guys want. We can tweet it out, too, if that's easier. Yeah. Um, I tell you what. I will give you the image this week. I do find it's a little odd that you're already complaining. And you're one and zero. I think maybe you're just a little sensitive. Hey man, Bama complains all the time. That's a very good point. Um, all right. Image so before sent, we get started, image sent. Go ahead and spoil it for yourself. All right. All right. We're sounds gonna do it at the end of the good. show. Uh, uh, Big Twelve. What? Go? Huh? Well, first, before we even talk about this, I want to sidetrack us again. Um, wife and I bought a new car this week. We're rolling hard in a 2016 Outback. And, um, we are trying to, first of all, it, we have like a nine year old iPod that has continued to work and it's amazing, but it freezes up every single time you like turn the car, like as soon as you hook it up and when you turn the car off, the thing freezes. So it's dying. It's on its way out. 
Uh, we're probably going to do either Pandora or Spotify while we try to figure out whether we want another iPod. I think we do because I have, you know, a hundred gigs of music lying around and it would seem kind of silly to then, you know, just like download new stuff. But um, Pandora versus Spotify, this is a, a question for the crowds. I think I am personally leaning towards Pandora because Spotify, you can create playlists you can, it's, it, it, it seems like to me, I've not done stuff Spotify, I'm like the last person. Seems like to me that's, it's a decent like music sharing kind of thing, but really it's about you picking out the music you want to hear, while Pandora is more of a trying to expose you to new music kind of thing, or not necessarily, you know, trying to take you out of your comfort zone a little bit, at least, um, you know, in terms of the actual songs you're hearing. So, I'm leaning a, towards Pandora as Okay, I'm leaning towards Pandora as a discovery thing that I, we could then purchase the music, put it on the, the new iPod whenever we get one. But so I'm open to a lot of the different. Uh, I think all three services have radio type features like Pandora yeah. does. Yeah. Um, Spotify is inherently better for me because I've, I've given up. I don't want to listen to anything new anymore. Um, I'm 35. I, I'm, I'm settled into that. It, it's a very warm cocoon-like atmosphere. Um, on the flip side, Spotify also connects you with your peers on Facebook and I think Twitter, and you you have an option to tell everyone what you're listening to. Right, I've seen you guys. Then, so it becomes this very insecure poser-type atmosphere, <laughs> and I'll go ahead and say it, even amongst our coworkers of what cool thing are you listening to at the moment when you may actually just, hey, you want to put on some candle box, maybe a little dishwalla. Um uh, I haven't listened to Pandora in a long time, and, and we'll open this up because last week I did solicit. By the way, everyone said to keep Phil. I think we only had two or three people say to throw the Phil Steels away. I don't. My wife is a is a evangelist for uh, iTunes, the iTunes Music Service. Uh, I haven't really gotten into to using it that much. I, I, I'm more of a Spotify guy. Uh, my short answer is I hate everything, and and I have a problem with all of them. I actually signed up for Title this week. Um, only because the new Radiohead album did not come out on Spotify. I have no report or opinion on Tidal, except that it's basically the same thing as Spotify. Um, right. It tried to make me pay $20 for some sort of high high HD audio. Something. I, I, I really don't care. I really don't care. Um, yeah. And that's the, that's the other thing is, I mean, we've purchased a lot of music and I know like Prince and whatnot, there are certain artists that aren't on Spotify that we have and I would want to listen to them because we've already spent money on their music. And so that makes me assume we will get another iPod at some point. And if I get the iPod, I don't necessarily see the point of Spotify other than being able to, able to compare notes with Jason and Spencer as to what we're listening to at any given time. So, right. I, um, I recommend buying a turntable and saying F it to, to, to all the digital stuff. Um, you really would work out pretty well in Brooklyn, you know. You have this resentment built in. Correct. But I think, you know, I after a couple months. Well, no, but I hate all those people, too. I hate all those people. I, I, I like my own space. I, uh, yeah, just, you really want to... We want to hit the ditch early on this show. Let's let, let's avoid any any concept of me living in Brooklyn. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, do the, I do the vinyl thing because I know exactly what I'm buying and I own it. Um, but yeah. I, st I still stream music all day long. I just hate... I hate any of the, the cultish part of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We should record this podcast. I would be wittier and sharper if we recorded this podcast later in the day, but I think Bill would just be... Asleep. What, dead? Yeah. I don't like the cult of personality around these music streaming services. Does any, any of this have anything to do with college football? Well, maybe, because Garth Brooks just came out and said <laughs> that he supports Oklahoma State staying with Oklahoma 
okay, if there is a dissolution of the Big 12. We have, what, a day and a half ago, we talked about the topics we'd hit this week. We just sort of wrote down Big 12 question mark. We can go with, these are just the things that, and no one can hear this live, so we're just going to pick, but if this was a choose-your-own-adventure, you would have, do we go with dis- uh, a disintegration of the Big 12, which would start with Oklahoma, or do we go with uh, expansion of the Big 12, right? And we can talk about fun, new, weird things like Colorado State, really? Okay. Um, or we could talk about the original problem. Well, I wouldn't say the original problem, but the, the beginning of this chapter, which was the 2010 breakup, the LHN, Nebraska stuff. Bill, where are we going with? Well, first, I, I do want to touch on the original timeline because, you know, as, as crazy as this sounds, it does appear that there are some Texas, some people from Texas trying to recreate history, uh, rewrite what? history. I know. I mean, it's uh, totally, completely out of character based on other things. But um, I, so I do want to kind of walk through my version of the of what did happen, just so it's kind of out there, because I did live through this very up close and personal uh, in 2010 and 2011, but I'm not uh, from Texas. So I do want to talk about that. But no, I mean, this is, I think it reveals something about ourselves, whether we're, we, we kind of inherently root for the big 12 to add more teams or die. Um, you know, me, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm all for everybody in the, everybody getting a big slice of the pie. Uh, so I'm all for the, well, I mean, hell two days ago, I published a big piece saying the big 12 should move to the big 24. Um, so, I mean, I think my cards are on the table already, uh, and I don't, I, I, I completely. Up, up. Explain the Big 24. Why, have you not read it? No, but not, I, I have, but I don't know, for the benefit of the listener, to throw out a concept like Big 24 and just scoot past it, what is the Big 24? The Big 24 is my, uh, is a variation on my annual promotion or relegation thing, which we kind of updated last week, by the way. Um... This is basically saying that, you know, I'm, I, I, the money probably, you know, disclaimer, the money probably doesn't work here, but it might. Basically, instead of trying to figure out, you know, should we add, you know, if we're adding Cincinnati, should we add Memphis or should we add Colorado State? Which, which school can we add that would make Texas less likely to kill our entire conference in a few years? Um, there, there is no such team. There is no such program on the table. Maybe things get, if you just pick any two, I, I loved our post earlier this week at SB Nation of just Colorado State, awesome, great, Adam. Memphis, great, perfect. Boise State, yes, absolutely. Just pick two teams so we can stop arguing about this. Yeah. Um, my idea was that we had 14 teams. I selected 14. You can really kind of select your own. I went with, let's see, Air Force and Navy, uh, Boise State and BYU, Cincinnati and Memphis, North Dakota State, uh, Houston, UConn, NIU, Rice, Tulane, UCF, and USF. Um, the, by the way, the only people matter at me about this post than Texas fans are ECU fans. Why? Um, because I didn't include them. Why and why not? Because there are about eighteen teams I wanted to select, and I selected you know fourteen. Although now that I see it, I, I <laughs> this is probably why they're mad. I listed a bunch of other programs like you could add whoever Georgia Southern, blah blah blah. I didn't actually mention them on that list. That's probably yeah, why that's they're mad. Because uh, I had you know SMU, Tulsa, Marshall, WKU, etc. Um, yeah, I thought I had added them there. So my okay, bad, ECU with, fans. Hypotheticals aside, writing exercises aside, if I were to ask you right now, what are the two teams 
and and really the answer changes in the way I phrase this question. Yeah. What are the two teams they need to add, should add? Do you want to see them add? People ask me this a lot when you do like the radio hits and that kind of stuff. And if if all things were equal and there were no politics and we were in this situation where you don't have A and M and you've lost Missouri and Nebraska and you added West Virginia as this island in the East. If all of that was the same, but you did, it, and everyone was on a, le- a level playing field, I would have a hard time thinking that the two teams you wouldn't add, would, or the, the the two teams you add, are Houston and Cincinnati. Now, I'm saying that because of resources, geography, um, recruiting areas. It was, I would take Cincinnati over Memphis because their infrastructure is stronger as a university, as an athletic department. I think they have a better revenue model in place. They are way more consistent in football. Um, and they also create a better bridge for West Virginia. You take Houston because Houston makes a ton of money. They're sitting in Houston. It, it makes total sense geographically um, whether or not well, they the, keep Tom Herman. Sort oh, of. What's that? Oh, sort of. Sort of the, um, they the sort of makes sense. The geog- yeah, the geography because they don't. If if part of the rationale for doing this is to eventually move to a Big Twelve network, which that I love the I, I joked about it in the piece, like the conversation there is basically we're just going to keep talking about this, uh, and then Texas will magically decide to get rid of Longhorn Network if we just keep talking about it enough. Um, if but if that's the idea that eventually you want to have a Big Twelve network, um, then I mean, granted, none of us know how cable TV is going to work in about five years, right. but it would seem to me that if that you know. Adding another team from a state that is already well covered by the conference doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. Right, um, but my defense to that is show me the program that's going to bring in a, a, a ton of views because well, the, the footprint the, that footprint by television expansion thing has really only worked for the Big Ten. Right, but I mean it's still well. I mean it's sort of work. You know, the SEC added Texas and Missouri, so I mean that's I, I would say that probably helped the SEC network out a little bit, Texas specifically. But yeah, well, I mean it's not about the, viewers. But the market for those, but if you look at like the two thirty games, or I'm sorry, three thirty Eastern games, since all of our lives have to correspond with Eastern time zone, with CBS. They, I don't know if you've seen a huge jump in viewership in Texas. Well, but it's, it's not about high. It's not about viewership. It's about subscribers. Um, Are you talking about oh on the actual cable? Yeah, well, yes and no because the the I think the block was bigger when I wrote about LHN. You have more adding Houston certainly helps, and adding Dallas, but the the block in which the the conference network any any conference network for that matter represents versus a single state, even though it is Texas, is substantial enough to be able to to, to get over with enough carriers. At least that was the mentality inside ESPN when I wrote about that a year and change ago is that even without Texas the SEC network would be an unqualified success and LHN would still be problematic because of everything that we've talked about so it's a lot of this is shades of gray we're getting back to right. the Houston thing they make the most sense to me on the in the most categories however all love and all love and appreciation in the world of Houston they're a very great destination they are not going to, in no way shape or form are they joining the big 12. Um, I think it's been very funny to see how TCU is, is acting and operating in this because they were the last Texas program let in, right, and they right. will be the last Texas program <laughs> let in. Um, I don't think Texas is going to make that what, what they view to be a mistake again. It's not going to happen. They add nothing. They do, they do add nothing in terms of television viewership. I think I read in one of the reports this week that 
when Gordon Gee from West Virginia, who's sort of spearheading the, the potential expansion project, went to Houston, Houston showed them television ratings in the market for their games in the AAC. That's asinine and completely pointless. But um, I love Houston. I think they make the most sense. I think Cincinnati makes the second most sense. I think Cincinnati has a puncher shot, and I think that Houston has none. So then we fall into the abyss of what next, which is sort of, I feel like that lack of a sterling candidate has been the malaise in this situation for so long. Because well, I right. I mean, 12 media days every year, and, and this is, it's always been met with this shrug privately, publicly, on the record, off the record of like, okay, well, who do you get? The ACC grant of rights are locked up. If it was obvious, then it would have happened a long time ago. Absolutely. Um, and and so yeah, the only reason they're talking about expanding is for a championship game and a network. Uh, it's not about adding two more. You know, there there was I I went back. Jason discovered this a, co- a few days ago when I was getting ready to do this big twenty four post. Um, he r- found something I wrote in like summer of twenty twelve that of course I had completely forgotten about. Where there were a couple months there where FSU was publicly expressing displeasure about kind of being in the ACC. And so I wrote a post kind of like this one where it's, yeah, it's kind of serious. Obviously not going to happen or should probably won't happen, but maybe you should take this idea a little more seriously than you probably are of, you know, why wouldn't the big 12 knowing how this works, where Larry Scott for like three or four years was viewed as a genius, even though now we're kind of coming to understand that the PAC 12 network is, um, at least in the short term or medium term, a disaster or not possibly, necessary. Yeah, and, and possibly the long term. So right. Yeah, at, at, at best, not the the gold mine wonderful thing it was supposed to be. But we 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 love big bold actions, right? And and so Scott, what Scott tried to do back in 2010-11 earned him like three, four, five years worth of good headlines or or generally good perceptions. Um, and my thought was, that why wouldn't the Big 12 want to do that, too? Why wouldn't you just, like, publicly go after Florida State and Clemson or Florida State, Clemson, and Miami or Florida State, Clemson, and Miami, and at that point, Notre Dame, um, basically try to make a – kind of make a Texas-type show of, uh, you know, trying to put this all together and, and see what happens. It, pro- it might fail, probably fails, because the ACC, the one, one of the, the, the constants in this whole uh, thing over the last six, seven years has been that the ACC doesn't actually lose. Um, we always think the ACC is going to lose, but the only t- program they've lost is Maryland, which I don't think – I don't necessarily think they're, they're too broken up about that. A lot that. of weeping, a lot of gnashing of teeth beating of chest like a war widow in the Middle East. No <laughs> but more, yeah, like no more we, terrapins. We we always assume the ACC is going to lose and then they quietly steal Louisville and Pittsburgh and sort of Notre Dame. Um they they end up just fine in the deal and so they probably And West Virginia and Cincinnati would have gone for would have gone in a heartbeat and gone for a song they would have raved they probably would have waived their television rights for five years. <laughs> I'm serious. Just yeah. to join because of the geographic sense it would make for West Virginia. And just so Cincinnati wouldn't have been, you know, the last one left on, on right. Cusa Island. Yeah. And, and so like, okay, I, I, so back, like, back to your point. So, so why you're asking why didn't they do that or why shouldn't they have done that? No, no. In general, like, why wouldn't they be a little more bold about this, or why when they had the chance? They, obviously, that chance passed like a month after I wrote that piece. I can answer um, that question because they can't agree on anything. Correct. It it, it it does boil down to a lack of a strong central body. Um, for all of the chicanery that goes on in the Southeastern Conference, the the head 
and the and the right hand have always been very strong in terms of directive and and policy. You yeah. don't a, a lot of the infighting that goes on in the SEC stays behind closed doors. Um, it's gosh, Bill. It's I mean maybe you can speak to this because you grew up in Oklahoma and and you went to school and I mean you went to school in a Big Twelve program, kind of Big Eight country, but it's always felt like the mentality of two conferences grafted together by necessity and not necessarily by mutual interest. And they've never identified as a whole. They've never felt cohesive. They, and I mean, their decision-making has never, they've, they've really not been a consensus policymaker in college sports because they are dominated by one, you know, uh, seemingly autonomous unit in Texas. Yeah. And that's always been, I mean, the Southwest Conference fell apart first. You know, that was, you know, for all intents and purposes, now two conferences have fallen apart within, uh, you know, Texas's realm here. Obviously, the Big 12 kind of fell apart and then regrouped uh, for a while, at least. But no, I mean, they they are huge. And unlike some other huge programs, at least on the football side, they have no problem saying we're huge and we're special and we're going to act in the best interest of us. And if it aligns with what is in the best interest of you guys, great. But I mean, they think I still remember, and I, this is not intended to be some giant let's jab at Texas for an hour thing. I'm kind of past all my bitterness about this. I just accept that this is the way it is. Um, but I remember back in 2010, the, the first go round when Nebraska and Colorado left, um, you know, basically, it really was, you know, at Rocky Nation, it was a, a high blood pressure time because we were starting to have to look into scenarios like, wait, so are we going to end up in the Big East here? You know, there, it was really, really tense for a little while. And then it did, it kind of fell apart. Texas, uh, you know, and, and Oklahoma and everybody, BB kind of scrounged around for that promise of a better TV deal. It all kind of stuck together. And like the next... Um, then the, like that very afternoon that everything looked like it was going to actually settle down for a second. Um, our, our friends at Barking Carnival, I've talked to Drew before. I like Drew a lot I, when I speak to him. So this is not meant as a personal jab, but they basically on Twitter, uh, I took a but screenshot. He sucks. Of That's right. He's, t- I, I like him, but he's terrible. Um, no, like who, I don't even know if it was him, but our friends at Barking Carnival posted on Twitter. You're welcome, Missouri and Kansas. Um, and like I was, wow. you know, I had a, like a, a regular job at that point. I was in my office down in the basement of the of a library at the University of Missouri, and I mean, I almost like dropped the the loudest f bomb I've ever had in my life, um, just instinctively because that made me so incredibly furious. But it it fit everything. I mean, you talk to Texas fans; they think they saved Baylor, they think they saved Texas Tech, and in a way, they kind of did. You know, they could have made it a lot worse for them, but really, they were acting. In their own interests, and it happened to help other teams. Yeah. Uh, and it, and then mean, in Missouri's save, case... Save Missouri, from what? I mean, th- this is where I always draw the line with Texas fans. You did keep the Big 12 um, operating because you, did not, you didn't go to the Pac-12 or Pac-16 or whatever it would have become. However, that doesn't mean Texas Tech and Oklahoma State would have just died overnight. Right. It was basically saving them from the unknown is what it was. Like nobody knew at that point like what would have happened. Now, with hindsight, I know that Missouri could have called up the SEC and said, okay... Uh, you want us, and and as long as Texas A and M had already done so, because I mean I think that's kind of the order it had to be in, um, then Missouri would have ended up just fine. Missouri wouldn't have ended up in the Mountain West Eastern Division. Um, what if, and, what and, about a parallel universe in which Missouri is um, more or better favored by the Big Ten and they end up there? 
Well, I mean, the deal with I, I can tell you, and this is something that always kind of when you when it's a Missouri person telling non-Missouri people, it sounds like the whole like we didn't we didn't lose, we stopped recruiting that guy, you know, that kind of thing. But I mean, I I was working on campus at Missouri at that point, and I know for basically. I was not doing prep work myself, but friends of mine were doing prep work for the move in what was that May of 2010. Uh, and what ended up happening was Missouri was very much dragging its feet uh, within the on the idea of junior membership. They didn't want they did well. You were just saying about Cincinnati and West Virginia. They didn't want to come in and be you mm-hmm. know the, one of the biggest issues that Missouri had with the Big Twelve was that not everybody was treated as an equal. Um, you know, and you, the television revenue was, there was a big disparity and all of those things. Uh, and so it always sounded from my end, like they were dragging their feet on the idea of leaving this unequal conference for another conference where for at least a few years, you don't get treated like you're an equal. Um, and so that seemed to be a little bit of not, not, I don't know if it was a deal breaker or if it was just making them drag their feet. And then when, uh, all hell broke loose, Nebraska said, Hey, take us, we'll do it right now. And, and they did. Um, so however you want to. I don't know specifically what that was, but I know that that was a big sticking point for Missouri. And then Nebraska took the spot a month later. Um, so that's, I mean, it, it's not hard to see in a parallel universe where Missouri a week earlier or something says something to the effect of, okay, well, we'll figure this out later, but count us in. Um, and, and they end up in the big 10 and you could certainly kind of draw an alternate timeline for that. Maybe Nebraska kind of pushes hard. Big 10 West. Maybe they, instead of winning two consecutive division titles in the SEC East, maybe they are a power in the Big Ten West. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, they, you can, you never know what ha- you know, butterfly effects and whatnot. But I mean, at that point, when Missouri won those two division titles in the SEC, it hadn't been on the back of guys they were recruiting in this new region. It was the guys they had already signed basically when they um, when they moved to the SEC in the first place. So they would have been. Pretty damn good in 2013 and 2014, yeah. And, and I mean, I've always been – I think we overstate the, the problems with the Big Ten West because there's always uh, Wisconsin. There's always another team, be it, you know, Iowa or whatever. It's not a national title caliber division, but it's a pretty good division uh, in terms of, like, baseline competition. But anyway, I mean, yeah, you can easily – like, I, we, I've kind of – this is bit this is like fan fiction like this is something it's like civil war reenactment like we 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 lived through it and then we reenact it just because it was such a, a an earth shattering thing which is hilarious because it didn't actually affect us personally um but it's so easy to go down the rabbit hole of of this alternate reality or that alternate reality or whatever and it's so, um, what, so Nebraska is what Antietam bull run Sure. Bloody, bloodiest possible outcome. <laughs> but I, it would have been. I, I need to ask you about Nebraska okay. and that. If if I'm developing another, like misconception bias tumor in my in my logic, okay. the way I have with like a Petrino Louisville, is is it as bad as 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 we think it is? Because I talk to a lot of Texas people, not the University of Texas, but some of them too. But just people in Texas and in that recruiting culture who say, "Look at Nebraska." They are a cautionary tale because they got on their high horse, claimed it was an academic move, walked away, and look at them. Yeah, it's yeah, they it, kind of tempting to, to, to listen to that to that uh, opinion. Yeah. So okay. So since they moved to the Big Ten, they've gone nine and four, ten and four, nine and four, nine and four, and then six and seven last year with a crap with a metric crap ton of close losses, and they'll probably win about nine games this coming year. If we're thinking of Nebraska as a team that should be a national title contender, then yeah, that's an outright disaster. 
if we're thinking of them as a team that should be that has top 15 potential with the right hire and and you know with the right hire and good experience top five or ten potential they still have that I mean, they're not an elite power Tom Osborne, but they, that's because Tom Osborne is already retired. He, he's a unique thing. The fact that they were able to hire Devaney and uh, Osborne back-to-back made that program. But hiring's really hard, and it's really hard to continue doing that, um, more, you know, hitting more than twice in a row. So, so it's really more a case of what Nebraska – Nebraska is a function of itself and not necessarily a circumstance of realignment. I think so. I mean, they, Bo Pelini was a good hire. Um, you know, the last two years in there in, um, well, in, in 09, I had, well, no, okay, I'm looking at the rankings here. He, he showed up in 08 and they ranked 17th in S and P plus. They were, they were one of those teams in 07 when Calhoun got fired. Speaking of perceptions, um, they went five and seven. Calhoun got fired. Their offense was awesome that year. Uh, their defense was was momentarily bad, and they still ranked 27th in S and P. They had a ton of uh, losses to really good teams that year. Um, they so they hire a defensive guy, and then boom, they're right back up into the top 20. Um, obviously, they were really inconsistent with with um, Pelini, and that's kind of that's a funny thing to say considering they lost four games on the nose every single year. Um, but looking at quality and everything else, they were kind of up and down, and that that it was a really that was a coincidence that they lost four games every year. But they still, I mean, they were seventeenth in 08, seventh in 09, nineteenth uh, in twenty eleven, twenty three in twenty twelve, and then uh, you know the year that quote unquote kind of got him fired, they were thirty first. They've had a couple bad years in there. They're less consistent now, but they still have top fifteen potential, and that, uh, I mean, I guess it just depends on what we think they should be and they they're just they're uh, they're not going to be a, a, a an alabama style power i don't think last three recruiting um, classes and i i use 247 uh 26 28 33 national rankings yeah and and i mean here's the thing though when they were winning national titles they weren't signing the number one class in the country i actually that's a i have no i have no way of actually proving that because you know this was in the days before rivals and whatnot, but they got so much mileage out of local kids who would have been like two stars. Yep. They were big on that whole uh, coach them up lineman lineman culture stuff. Get some some stars. I almost said crap, but but I'm not trying, like I'm not trying to indict. Hey, that works without a doubt. Um, Clearly. I I think they are more, I I do think they are a function of themselves. Um, I, I don't think, but they were cast off into um, obscurity because they went to the Big Twelve, or excuse me, left the Big Twelve for the Big Ten, and, and they're not able to recruit Texas as effectively. I do think that there's an issue with recruiting in general there, yeah. and I think yeah. that some of the modernity of college football has escaped Lincoln. Um, Fair to say, <laughs> I've talked to a lot of Big Ten coaches uh, over the off season, and no one really talks about Nebraska. It's just funny because maybe I'm just looking at it through the prism of. We, we're, look, we're guilty of this all the time. It's the broken record that our Bryles talks about. Your perception will color your expectation. And, and my perception was built because I, I grew up watching the sport in the 1990s. And so to me, Nebraska is the, – the, the current Nebraska is, is not what it should be. Or may, maybe it is, and my brain just hasn't caught up with that. But Big Ten coaches don't talk about Nebraska with – a concern or competitiveness in recruiting or, or, or an esteem that, that fits the, the Nebraska that I saw in 1996. No. And that's just, I mean, again, Devaney and Osborne back to back after, since then 
they've kind of they've they've taken a they they have not fallen for a specific type. <laughs> um, right. You know, obviously after Osborne, they they hire Solich. Callahan thing. Or, was, mm. That was over. Well, okay. So let's let's start with Solich. So that one was ordained years and years in advance. Everybody knew Solich was going to get that job, and that's fine. Um, he did, and he did a fine job. You know, as as Osborne's recruits cycled out, he did kind of a less consistent job. But the year he got dumped, they went ten and three, um, and and so that was that was kind of ridiculous in and of itself. And then that they just overthought like crazy in '04 uh, when they hired Callahan. That was I think would that have been it? No, I think it was play. I, I don't remember who, what the other names were when they hired Callahan, but that was just a, you know, big, bold, we just failed miserably with a guy, with an Osborne guy. Let's go the exact opposite. Let's aim high and forget the national title. We're going to try to win the Super Bowl. We're going to bring in Callahan. And by the way, Callahan NFL recruited West like... West Coast offense. Couldn't right. And, and it's jarring. Yeah. And it was, but it was also, like I said, that, that offense in 07 was awesome. It was drowned out by the fact that their defense was bad in Missouri and Kansas and everybody else also had awesome offenses. But they had a really good offense in 07. And, you know, with who was that lucky? I don't remember the quarterback's name, the transfer from, like, Arizona State or something like that. Um, but offense really wasn't their problem. It was, I mean, it was an aesthetics, aesthetics things. They were failing and they had ditched the option. Therefore, it's because they ditched the option. Um but no, they went from favorite son to complete and total outsider uh, who recruited really well. And then they, Pelini was basically the anti-Callahan, the guy who could bring back the defense, bring back the black shirts. Plus he had a little bit of Nebraska ties from, yeah, when it, when it was Solich that hired him like at the very end, I think. Uh, yeah, 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 because he was the interim coach in that bowl when Solich got hired. And then Mike Riley, I still don't understand. And Mike Riley could still succeed, but it really was kind of the anti-Pelini. He, you know, the the our offense is pretty inconsistent, and and he's he's a meanie. So let's bring in the nicest guy with a decent offensive reputation that we can find. And that's so much of this is overthinking. They they should have, it, you know, I don't know. They, You're really they, talking they, me into some sort of state of the union Nebraska future here. I'm fascinated. They also have one of the nicest head coaches in college football, and that is a character trait that. I would say consistently spells doom for a program. Well, I, I just, I mean, no matter what we expect of Nebraska, they they hired a guy who, who, in his last four years at his previous spot, had gone what is that, twenty four and twenty six? Oh, but in the five and seven the year before that, so twenty nine and thirty three the five years. Uh, like how? Again, any hire can work, and maybe you know they were unlucky last year. Maybe they get all the bounces this year and they do really well. So, I mean, any hire can work, but how the hell do you? justify that at all other than the fact that he's a nice guy and our last guy wasn't at least not our last guy wasn't you know our our last guy threw fits like that's it that's the only justification for hiring mike riley so this was a 10 minute this was a 10 minute coda just to prove the point that no texas did not the absence of texas did not kill nebraska nebraska is doing a fine job of killing itself (laughs) yeah kind of um but yeah, I mean, and then circling back to our original, however the hell we got here, uh, you know, the, the idea of Texas saving all of these programs um, as it thunders in the background and my dog goes crazy at my feet. Um, the, they saved them from an unknown. All of those programs could have ended up just fine. And, and you know, Missouri and A&M did. Um, and maybe there's some sort of, maybe Oklahoma State jumps into the SEC too, or maybe... Um, no, wait, they were part of the whole Pac-16 thing, weren't they? It was, it was. 
uh, Oklahoma State. It was. It yes. was. Yeah. Okay. So it was Baylor. I think Baylor is an SEC expansion candidate, but that was pure rumor. That that never evolved past rumor. I'm I'm all for. By the way, if the SEC ever expands, I'm all for Oklahoma State and NC State. I'm all for just getting every single angry chip on the shoulder little brother. Um, I think that fits perfectly. (laughs) But I don't know if I want to swim in that in that pool. Nothing against Oklahoma State or NC State. Just the amount of uh, vitriol would be. hmm. I mean, you know, you got to go with type there. Um, so, uh, but I mean, this is a, this has been a very uh, roundabout conversation here, but no, that was Texas is what they, Texas is what Texas is. Can I put you on the spot about an expansion candidate in terms of quality? Okay. Um, everyone has been quick to write off Memphis. I have as well, but mainly more, more on the dollars and cents and, and management side and the, uh, structure and, uh, really that's it. I mean, I pick at Memphis for cultural stuff, but I would reject Memphis as a Big 12 candidate because of the the non, uh, just the finite stuff, the stuff that's on paper. Um, yeah. But everyone wants to reject Memphis because of the football program only having success under Fuente. What in the world can you tell me about Colorado State in terms of a larger perspective? Obviously, they send a coach to Florida. They've got what we assume to be a pretty promising replacement in Mike Bobo. I've been to Fort Collins. Uh, it's a really nice town. Yeah. It's, um, it, it is a very college town. Kind of crappy vanilla dis- description, but I mean, it's, it, to me, it, it, has, um, it, it has a fair amount of, of comp- comparable uh, charm and, and marketability as Boulder does. I don't know if a Buffs fan's going to completely lose their their mind by me saying that, but I mean, like, I don't know if there's like better skiing in one town or the other. I don't think that really matters, but, um, Fort Collins seems built to be a power five college town. I, the football program to me, I, I don't know. And this is a name that emerged in the last seven to 10 days. Right. Seemingly out of nowhere. We've, we've heard about the directional Florida's before and the, and, and the directional Florida's were very, very much a symptom of the media needing to fill out a list and looking at, things like undergraduate enrollment and television ratings and yeah. markets and stuff. And we, and yeah. we sort of big. plugged those yeah. in before anyone else did. Um, but Colorado State, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously they did. They made a really good hire with McElwain. And he kind of he boosted up the talent level. I like what Bobo is doing. Um, but the whole idea here is, you know, it'll, it'll deliver the Denver market. Well, great i mean the Den- I, yeah. I would argue the denver market is not as i mean it's it's without doubt a broncos town first um and it's a i, I would go with decent as a descriptor for college fandom like the permeation of college fandom right and I, and I guess i'm the one who was just talking about subscribers and whatnot and denver's you know big so but also keep um, in mind the buffs are the buffs are closer in the footprints than the um than Colorado State is. Uh, Boulder is, I'm going to have to pull up Google Maps. Boulder is a lot closer to Denver is what you need to know. Fort Collins is not far away, though. It's actually, right. on, it's on the way to Cheyenne. Um, so and the, the um, uh, enrollment is, is actually pretty much the same, yeah. I've noticed, which is not quite what I expected to see. But um, Colorado State is, it, I'm not trying to find a problem here. It, it was just not a name that we had heard but it wasn't even a name I heard privately. 
Yeah. So, no, okay, I, that's fine. It's 65 miles from the heart of Denver. So, straight up the interstate, straight up I-25. Um, was that? Yeah, that's I-25. Um, having a, a two... When did I write that Wyoming piece? I think it was two or three seasons ago I wrote the Wyoming piece. Not my first right. time to Laramie, but I f- flew into Denver because it's easier and cheaper. Flew into Denver, drove north, and, and on my way, what I noticed was, as far as the whole big, open, you know, the whole big sky trope, when you're driving from Denver to Fort Collins, it's not that at all. It is really a series of, of suburbs, a series yeah. of, of heavily populated areas, because Denver has been a huge growth market for jobs and for, for relocation, and so it's not a rural outpost, is what I'm trying to say. There's a bunch of suburbs in that 60-some-odd miles, um, and then Boulder's like 25 miles away. So I don't know if Colorado State is going to really push a needle in the Denver television market. Now, the thing about that is it's sort of the Rutgers-Maryland effect of it's not as much about Colorado State as it is about when Texas comes to play Colorado State or right. when Oklahoma comes to play Colorado State. Um I have been to their stadium, and I would assume that there might be a tentative agreement to use Invesco Field for the larger the larger schools. Well, they're they're building they're finishing up a new stadium too. Um, right, but I would I would still expect that yeah. as 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 the way politics goes in this conference, that there would be a concession made. I know that um, that has been discussed in Cincinnati because they they can't really expand Nippert much more because it is landlocked. Right. Um, that they would move down and use the Bengal Stadium for, for instance, Oklahoma or Texas. So maybe, maybe not. Um, it'll be interesting. Uh, but but as a football program, I mean, pre, pre-McElwain, is this, to me, this makes absolutely no sense eight to ten years ago. Zero. No, and, and it really is, I mean, timing is such a huge part of that. Ten years earlier, Missouri doesn't go to the SEC. You know, there's... Certainly, a um, you know you always well, want to be. I just meant more from a program quality standpoint. Well, I mean, ten years before, like two thousand, you know, Missouri been to like two bowls in almost twenty years. Like that, that's just like overall program infrastructure, et cetera. There was just really nothing. Missouri did not have the same amount to offer as other schools, and they did a really nice job of building that infrastructure enough to the point where they could be attractive. So, I mean, basically, here the what I mean here is that you know. You always want to be good, but there are certain times when it's very, very, it can be very beneficial to be good. And I think that's something that could help Memphis right now is that, you know, if, you know, right now they actually are good at football and, and maybe they'll continue. We don't know if they will or not, but they'll maybe continue that. They kind of stink at basketball all of a sudden, but they've had re- very recent uh, success in that regard. And so you combine those two things with, you know, market and blah, blah, blah. You get a relatively, because the football team has shown uh, promise the last couple of years, suddenly you've got a relatively viable candidate. But I would, Lord, I would think it's more viable than Colorado State. But really, I might be underestimating the the Denver thing, the subscriber thing. And, and like I said, the fact that Colorado State's as big as CU. So, um, but yeah, I was, I was also, I was surprised because, you know, Lubick, Lubick had a ton of success at Colorado State. Before Lubick, they had been to two bowls ever, um, and then in the years after Lubick, they, well, they I mean they struggled, they slid with Lubick, and then after him, yeah, Fairchild went to one bowl, got kind of lucky to go seven and six, and then died. Fair, you know, 
I, I shouldn't use that term to describe a person, I guess. He, he didn't actually die, but they went three and nine three straight years after that. Uh, then McElwain went four and eight for a year. But yeah, all of a sudden they've won 25 games the last three years. Bobo's recruiting really well. They have a new stadium in the works. Um, maybe that's enough. But that kind of the fact that we're talking about Memphis and Colorado State right now kind of proves my original point. There, you, you only expand to 12 if you think you need 12 for a network and and a championship game because there's absolutely if it comes down to we need to find somebody who will help uh, convince Texas to stay, Memphis and Colorado State aren't that. No, not even close. I don't know if there's a combination of two teams that are available that would do. That. No, no. I mean, like I said, Florida State, Clemson. That was the last time such a, a, a such a potential arrangement existed, and it didn't even really exist then. Uh, there's. I, I want to jump into a question because I think it connects to better understanding the Texas psyche, the University of Texas psyche. And it's a, it's a question that actually just came into us as we were setting up to record, and I think it comes in from last week. Bill, let me stall just a little bit. Um, okay, it comes from Andrew Gregory. Um, uh, I'm going to clip this in progress and just kind of summarize it. Um, a question related to your discussion about Big 12 expansion. Um, Andrew is stationed uh, at Fort Hood in the Army. He's uh, And for those of you who don't know, Fort Hood is an hour south of Baylor, an hour north of Texas, and an hour and a half west of A&M. I uh, work with a tremendous number of Aggie colleagues. It's clear to me that as an outsider, Texas A&M's culture and an identity are so wrapped up in the state of Texas and dominance here that maybe the SEC isn't a good fit long term. If A&M keeps bouncing around between 7 and 5 and 9 and 3 in the SEC while Baylor, TCU, and Texas trade turns with Big 12 titles, uh, will A&M's lot become, become unacceptable to fans? Will it hurt long-term recruiting in the state? Um, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of questions here. Um, the SEC deal continues to be very lucrative money-wise, but that was that really the issue with A&M given its alumni base? Question mark. Also, S&P Plus-wise, wouldn't A&M done much better the past few years in the Big 12? Okay, a lot of questions there, Andrew. Um, by the way, he's with the 1st Battalion, 8th Cavalry Regiment out of Fort Hood. Thank you for your service, sir. And thanks for writing in. It, they're not going to move. Um, no. They're, they're locked into the SEC. It, it is still the, uh, potentially the most lucrative um, conference membership yep. that you can have. The advantages that were presented to Texas A&M when they first uh, started flirting with the SEC are still on the table. It, you know, I don't think it was—I um, don't think it was a bait and switch at all. Um, would they have done better in the last couple of years in the, in the Big Twelve? Uh, I think he's referring to the Manziel seasons. I think so. But they yeah, I mean, big, well. they did pretty damn well in the SEC West. Right. I mean, the SEC West is the hardest division in the country, so of course they would have done what uh, done better in a less um, in a in a worse conference but they also wouldn't have beaten Alabama I mean I think the biggest thing for me with A&M's move is this will always be something that they can point to as a that time they beat Texas Um, and obviously Texas ended up just fine with it and Texas ended up with their own network and all that but this was an area where I don't where Texas kind of called A&M's bluff to a certain degree and A&M said fine watch this and they left for the best conference in the country and I think this this stupid rivalry that has so much um you know, measurement of general things uh, that I won't say on the podcast. Uh, there, there's a lot of um, off the field competition. I'll just stop there. And that's but, okay. That's why I brought this email up. That's this is how it connects back to the current Big Twelve and the expansion. I, I, I'm not bringing in Texas. A&M. He asked a very, I thought a very good question because it 
it sh- I, I think it's a nice little look into the psychology of the state of Texas. And so here's what I'm getting at. And this is just an assumption, but it is based off of a lot of conversations with a lot of people in college football and a lot of fans in Texas. I don't know if this whole Texas versus the world thing pans out for Texas because there is such an identity in the state of those schools competing against one another. I'm not feeding the theory that A&M would ever come back with its tail tucked if a Big 12 even exists 10 years from now. They're in the SEC. They, that's it. They've cast their lot. They may, Now, look, they can easily schedule a non-conference series with TCU or Baylor or God knows, even Texas one day. But I think this idea that Texas decides to, to blow up a Big 12 and leave Tech and TCU and Baylor high and dry, and they... I don't know. What do they do, Bill? Let's just say hypothetically they say, you know, we're going to be an independent. We're going to schedule Notre Dame every year. And we're going to play. We're going to cherry pick from USC, and we're going to have a game in Dallas against Alabama for three years. And th- th- they go that route that some of them in Austin think that they can go. I think the resentment culturally that, that builds up, I-, I think it overtakes I think it overtakes Texas eventually. I think it's not something that they're even comfortable dealing with. As much as they talk about how much they don't need their their neighbors or, or their, their lessers or whatever, the sec, all those secondary schools. Them. I think they do, and I think they do lose something um, culturally in a massive, massive way. And it, it just even selling tickets and marketing games, I do think that they lose something because, you know, I spent a, a good portion of last summer trying to figure out what is this whole TCU-Baylor thing. And it really boils down to, I think there was some truth when those TCU and Baylor fans and those players and the coaches and the freaking ADs told me, hey, we have a tough time saying that TCU, you know, TCU is our rival at Baylor and vice versa is because in Texas, you just, you want to beat every school in Texas. And I do believe that. And I think if Texas continues to lose Texas schools, it does lessen the brand. I don't think that they would be this shining success had they gone to the Pac-16. I really don't. I know I'm in the minority there, but I just don't think the same product is is replicated. I think, um, well, I mean, since the whole Paxis 16 idea came about, they've kind of stunk on the football field. So it's hard to uh, get a good read regardless. But in that Pac-16, they would have been playing, A, they would have had that big marquee USC game, I assume, kind of if we're thinking of things north-south. Um but they would have still had like OU every year. They'd have still had whichever of the other like Texas Tech or whatever came along. Uh, they would have had them. Um, I, I think that that move would have worked out okay for them. It, but they're still kind of they hitched their ride to a very very long term. Um, well, I guess I have to say wagon since I to finish that uh, same. But paint, paint, paint a picture. Okay. Um, I mean, they 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 no, made I meant, their. I meant with the wagon. You're going with a very. I, I've got a very uh, West Texas mental image. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That was. Yeah. Um, I'm really good at, at changing metaphors midstream, so I, I I had to play out the string on that one. Um, no, I mean they went with a very long term move by saying, you know, we want to never mind Big Twelve or Pac Twelve. We want to be us. We are Texas, uh, and maybe it still pays off for them down the line. I. I that's been the, my biggest uh, issue with all of this Big 12 expansion talk over the last few weeks or, you know, years. Um, so much of it depends on su- Texas suddenly turning uh, like into a benevolent good team player. And they've made it very clear that whether they need to be or not, whether they should be, whether it's good or bad, whatever, all value judgment aside, they're in it for Texas. Uh, and you're right, it could backfire. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it works out. Everything works out great. But... 
I don't think A&M, even if they struggle, A&M's going to be mad at the coaches who are making them struggle. They're not going to be mad about struggling in the SEC. Um, I think that maybe my opinion is colored by an SEC background because, again, behind closed doors, Alabama knows better. Georgia knows better. Florida knows better. LSU knows better. They all think that they're as good as Texas, and they all think that they're as powerful as Texas and as effective and probably as capable of, of whatever it is that Texas claims, be it money or titles or what have you. But they also know that they 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 may not fail outright without without their, their, their conference mates, but they are a significantly less valuable property. I mean, you look at the Southeastern Conference, it... it the Southeastern Conference has some glaring, ugly problems in its scheduling, and you can trace 90% of it back to the fact that Alabama refuses to take Tennessee off the schedule every yeah. year. That's kind <laughs> of what, and, and, and the same with Georgia and Auburn. That's kind of, in a really short, simple way, what most of the, the scheduling and the division structure problems in the Southeastern Conference boil down to, because those schools are aware of the, the brand property in individual rivalries. And and I see that same viewpoint expressed by the other Texas schools. That's why TCU and Baylor do this sort of weird playground flirt thing. And and I think eventually they're going to settle on a corporate sponsor, and they're going to have a really nice, uh, you know, maybe they'll call it the revival. Yeah, I hope they do. But they're going to have a corporate sponsor. <laughs> they're going to have a trophy, and it's going to look awesome. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Texas Tech and Baylor or have they they've moved everything to Jerry World for the next five or six years? And they're, they're uh, yeah, they, I don't know how long it lasts, but they've been doing it. Yeah, they're branding the same kind of rivalry. Um, everybody gets it except Texas, with, and, and you know Red River being a, a very large exception to this. But again, that's that, that's that's crossing the Brazos. That that's or not the Brazos. My God, I'm so sorry. They're crossing the Red River that's, you know, going out of state. I think that's a big part of the psychology. It's just fascinating. So maybe it's just my SEC thing where I came up and learned and understood that, you know, God, everybody hates hates the crap out of each other here, no doubt. You know, I'm I'm centrally located between the Alabama Tennessee rivalry and, and several others, but they sure as hell chant SEC for a reason. It's, yeah. I think deep down they know that they're they're you know it's a sum of their parts type argument, and Texas has just never ever felt that way. So maybe we enter into a fifteen to twenty year experiment of let's see how valuable and effective the Texas brand is all by itself in Texas. It would be interesting if they end up going that independent route, and then like Baylor says, no, no, we got TCU and Tech, we're cool. Uh, right. TCU, and, and then suddenly they don't get any of those Texas teams. I mean, they could always get like Rice. But it would be interesting if those other schools got to the point where saying, you know what, we don't need you. Go, go, go do your thing. Um, all right, just, we need to do – Just let me leave you with this. Imagine a three- or four-week span in the heart of the season, like October going into November, late September, what have you, where you have TCU, Baylor, Tech all playing each other in some combination thereof. And you have A&M playing Arkansas and Dallas. They're doing that, I think, forever. I think that deal has been – I hope up, so. Not as, as much as forever a contract can give you. And then you have A&M going and adding another Texas school like an SMU or something like that. And then every week during that usual amazing you know college football season in Texas, the Longhorns are playing BYU and Arizona State and Notre Dame and you know a random a random one in one series with 
Georgia Tech or Auburn. Do you think over time that that makes Texas more appealing if you're just a just a, a Dallas suburbanite looking for good local football? Just just yeah. a question. I'm sure we're gonna get blasted by Texas emails. No, oh yeah. Oh god. Intent, yeah. But especially since I'm gonna lead the post with this now on SBN, so we'll definitely get yelled at. Hashtag no one wants to watch BYU. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, oh man, getting yelled yeah, at by just everybody. Double down on the email. That's that was a joke. All right, so we're going to, that is, I mean, that is the question, and we might get closer to finding the answer, but we're at 55 minutes right now. We haven't done box score yet, and we need to get some emails. Well, we're going to do some emails first, as quickly as humanly possible, because I've got too many damn emails. Everybody here, Bill, procrastinating? Huh? (laughs) I've got too many damn emails. I'm looking at like 38 starred emails here in the podcast folder, so. All right, let's fire through them. Very quickly, at least relatively speaking. Okay, yesterday, our friend Brian. Hey, guys, I've got a potential discussion starter for you. Um, novel idea for the creation of a new FBS conference, one that I think makes sense from a football standpoint. Obviously, there are a bunch of obstacles, da-da-da-da-da. Okay. Um, could be a home for a for misfit programs or provide a platform for powerhouse FBS programs. Uh, basically, his, his proposal here is like a uh, FCS powers conference. So in the East, like the ones he sub- suggested, which I don't necessarily agree with, but he, he kind of had a East division of like uh, UMass, Rhode Island, Delaware, New Hampshire, Maine. <clears throat> you could really, any number of, you know, Richmond, JMU, et cetera, it just basically like the most consistently good five programs on the East Coast or four plus UMass. And then on the West, it, he, his example was Montana, Idaho, New Mexico State, North Dakota State, South Dakota State. This is basically kind of at, at the end of that Big 24, Big 12 post I had. Um, I mentioned that, okay, fine, the Big 12 isn't going to do this, but what if the AAC tried to do this by trying to add, you know, Boise State, Colorado State, uh, Western Kentucky, Marshall, you know, basically trying to create a giant, stru- like a, if not two-tiered structure, just a giant uh, best of mid-majors conference. Um, this would be kind of the same idea. Um, I I don't, I mean, from a TV standpoint, they'd probably make a little money or more money than they're making now. And you could definitely have, um, you know, North Dakota, all, all the, you know, North Dakota State, Montana, and and all the kind of the, the, the marquee FCS matchups. Um, I mean, first of all, you can't technically speaking, you can't get into FBS unless you're invited by an FBS conference now. So technically this wouldn't work, but I mean, it's certainly, I love any idea that tries to play off of the promotion or relegation idea where we, we make college football at least based 5% on merit and not reputation and power structure and oligarchy and everything else. So I'm all for encouraging ideas like this. I'm fine with it. Let's keep it. I'm okay Keep with moving. Uh, our friend Nick, this is from a few days ago. Um, I've not read this email. I'm just going to start reading it out loud. Um, I have a question slash working hypothesis regarding bagmen. Uh, play bagmen. Human beings find meaning and attachment with celebrity slash popularity, not just their own. Popularity is a relative term, and it can apply globally or within the smallest town, schools, churches, etc. As such, it's my hypothesis that bagmen exist not just at D1 schools, but all the way down to the Mountain Unions and the Whitewaters. Those schools may not be on TV, but as the popular entertainment in their communities, people will be motivated to attach themselves to the program in ways deeper than just fandom. 
Further, I bet Bagman exists beyond popular revenue-generating sports. It's at schools in small towns where there, where gymnastics, volleyball, wrestling, etc. passes entertainment. Uh, you would find people working for the system there as well, looking for attachment. In your research, were you able to establish any limits of the behavior? Uh, I know that people assume there are quote-unquote clean schools, which is obviously BS, but did you find any evidence that this practice doesn't exist anywhere or at any level, uh, or what would you suspect? I read this email and I thought to myself, well, you know, if you're talking about exchanging uh, goods and services for um, a performance that makes someone happy, then that's the oldest profession in the books. Um, <laughs> not to be lewd, but uh, do I believe it happens elsewhere? Yeah, of course. Um, I don't. Am I telling you that it happens in Division Three re- uh, wrestling or field hockey? Uh, no, because that's not the world in which I operate, so I'm not... Uh, would I assume that this kind of compensation occurs in different sports in different ways? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my, like, always always on my list pitches every year for SB Nation is going over and covering the KHL in Russia because it's so insanely <laughs> dirty. Um, and the weird compensation structures and bribes and crap that goes on over there is just fascinating to me. Um, yeah, I think that's... Um, if, if I have a really small specialty inside of SB Nation where I'm not the stats guy and I'm not the recruiting guy, I'm, I guess I am the crime person? <laughs> um, Does, yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think schools are clean. Yes, I think schools are cleaner than others. Or I think less dirty would probably be the better metric to use. Um, I would assume that Mount Union... I'm trying to think but, if I've ever heard of an FCS example or anything like, like a bag man at an FCS level. And no, I have not. I would assume that a star player at Mount Union has been thanked for his services. Also, this does. I, 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 let me put the joke down for a second. He mentioned Mount Union in there. I, I have have made it a just nervous tick of a practice to never associate an individual school with this kind of stuff. The whole ethos of the Bagman story was to, right. to represent the practice and not the individual schools or people involved because, you know, it's, it's, it's not about that. It's not a witch hunt. So I'm not trying to drag Mount Union in anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're not making accusations. Like a Wisconsin Whitewater fan trying to get back at them or something like that. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it could definitely occur at any level in any sport. I, again, it's just the intersection of, of passion and commerce. Basically. Yeah. Uh, it all comes down to winning games is a lot of fun. And once you've went, once you've won them, you never want to not win them. Yeah, and I you mean, start, it's, a, it's a very unique form of euphoria. And you will get, you will begin to get creative, and or you know, maybe the word is desperate uh, to win once you've won. So um, I mean, yeah, just you know, follow, connect the dots. Uh, one more, and then we'll go to to box score. I apologize. We yeah, we got a lot right. of emails. I, I, we got a lot of emails that we, we suddenly didn't answer emails for a couple of weeks, and now I don't know if we'll get to them, but here's one more from relatively recently. Um, I kind of like this one. Uh, let's see. Where should I start? I know I'm an outlier. Uh, this is our friend Andrew. I know, I know I'm an outlier, but I've long hoped for the NCAA to really split into schools that compensate with money and schools that actually compensate with, with education, but I feel that's unrealistic. If that split really occurred... I think that despite my Pollyanna hopes, the best athletes would by and large go to the money schools, and before long, a major slash minor league dynamic would occur. I think education schools would end up looking at like the Ivies do now. I mean, a absolutely. Don't punish Stanford for your for your idealism. 
Um, so I guess my specific question questions are one, if schools start paying players, do you think some schools really walk away? Notre Dame's president is on record in New York times saying he won't pay players. Is this just posturing Two, If there is some sort of split, what does it look like logistically? Do the schools cross over and play each other? Uh, maybe just during bowl season, could the education schools actually compete for talent? What schools, which school schools go pro, uh, and how do they sell that to alumni? Uh, do the teams just break off from the schools? Okay. Okay. So, I, I, my answer to this is never underestimate the power of rationalization. If it ever came to the point where schools paid players, they would call it something other than paying players. Yeah, Therefore, everybody the way, would be okay. No, with it. Notre Dame doesn't quit football. No, or do, doesn't drop to Division three and only play like the University of Chicago. Exactly. Yeah, no, they would. We would call it something else, and everybody would be okay with it, and everybody'd move on. As far as the division goes, I, I think a lot of folks would be surprised how easy it is to to deliver a certain form of compensation given the current budgets. I know athletic directors love to talk about how impossible that would be and how they're barely breaking even as they show me they're like <laughs> as they show me like a you know a, an LED logo on top of a waterfall, you know, in zero gravity hyperbaric chambers, you know, for their student athletes. Please tell me about how you broke. Um I don't think it would be that dramatically different. These are large revenue generating uh, bodies, especially with escalating television contracts. There's no problem with revenue right now. Projections yeah, are no. solid for the next 10 to 15 years. Even even now, if cord cutting takes over, uh, you know, and there's a dramatic drop in cable in cable bundling, those contracts are still locked in. It's really kind of up to ESPN to change their revenue model. That's why I right. think you would see, you know, that's been the biggest threat in terms of projections is that people stop paying for cable and cable stops paying for these live um you know, these rights fees, but I think that's a, such a slow moving shift that we would see it or feel it all at once. Even if there was some consumer led change to overnight, everyone cuts their cable package. I, I mean, I, ESPN still has the mobility to, to pivot and create, um, I guess you would call it a sh- like a streaming bouquet service. Um, just something, if you have HBO now, which is sort of the the non-cable subscriber version of HBO Go. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Next question. Uh, let's play bingo, actually. Yeah. You scared? I, I, I'm going to be wrong at some point, but we'll see if I can make it a two, I, if I can go two for two here. I've taken the most intellectual little podcast creation and turned it into like a dumb redneck intimidation thing. I don't mean to do that. Okay. Oh, here we go. Okay, okay, we're good. All right. All right, all right. All right. Um, how, do we, how do we want to um, – first off, let me back up. All right, if you're listening in your car, it's the first time you didn't catch last week's episode. Box score bingo is as follows. We take a box score. We take the names off of it, and I quiz Bill with a certain amount of information. From that information uh, – I shouldn't say quiz. I provide Bill that information. From that information, Bill recreates the circumstances of a game. In other words, he basically tells me what happened. The idea is not to guess the actual game or the teams involved. People have misconstrued that. Bill is not supposed to guess, is it, you know, Florida and Auburn? And, and no, he's supposed to tell me what happened in the game based, based off the numbers in which he re, recreates the crime scene, so to speak. Does that make sense? Uh, I think that was pretty good, yeah. Everybody good? Everybody ready for this? Okay. All right, Bill. You have a red, you have a red team and a black team. Are you looking at your image? I am. Okay. If you're playing along at home, the red team had 19 first downs. The black team had 22. The red team had 420 total yards. 
The black team had 390. The red team was penalized twice for 20 yards. The black team was penalized three times for 20 yards. Each team had one turnover. The red team threw an interception. The black team lost a fumble. The red team had 27 minutes and 34 seconds of possession. The black team had 32 minutes and 26 seconds of possession. Is there any other breakdown that you would like, Mr. Connolly? Uh, I was kind of I was zooming in here. Did you say? Did you talk about third downs? I have not talked about third downs yet, and I've also not talked about the yardage breakdown. So we'll go there. All right. Okay. The red team was two of eight on third down efficiency and one of two on fourth down efficiency. The black team was four of twelve on third down and one for one on fourth. Pretty interesting as we get here. I'm gonna try and avoid spoilers, if you will. All right. On passing, the red team was 12 of 15 for 226 yards. That's a 15-yard average with one interception thrown. The black team had 20 total yards of passing, two for four with a five-yard average. The red team rushed for 194 yards. The black team, 370. Bill, what happened in this game? (laughs) Um, well, first of all, this was clearly like an option kind of thing. The black team uh, had good field, obviously had good time of possession. Um, you know, rushed sixty three times, took four. You know, attempted four passes. So obviously, without trying to get into who which team is this, clearly that was an option team uh, trying to control the clock and doing a pretty good job of it. They, uh, what is that? So that's sixty seven plays for them. Uh, to 55 for the other team. Clearly they were able to control the clock, and that was good because they couldn't really stop the other team from throwing the ball. Uh, The other team went 12 for 15 for 226. Um, So this was kind of an efficiency versus explosiveness game where the efficiency team, let's see, I'm guessing... um, with, With time of possession in their favor, with turnovers uh, even, with... Uh, th- with neither team doing very well on third down, I'm assuming then this was an example of an option team successfully keeping the other team off the field enough to win the game. But um, unless, like I've said before, unless uh, the the turnovers were really, really like one was an arm punt and the other was a pick six, uh, unless the, one of the teams had to kick and miss a bunch of field goals and the other team scored all touchdowns, this was clearly a close game without those circumstances. Um, but all else being equal, I would assume the team that attempted to control the clock and control the field and, 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 and do the efficiency thing won. Okay, so to review, you believe that there's an option team involved. Yes. You think the option team won? I guess so, yeah. They, they either won or came very close. All right. Anything else in terms of a decorative statement about this football game before I read you the lead and the second paragraph of the gamer? Okay. Yeah, this one, I mean, this one was clearly, you know, like I said, I don't know specifically what the outcome was, but it's clear what the terms were here. One team passing a lot, although, I mean, I I said the other team passed, you know, 12 for 15. That's great. They still rushed 40 times. So it's not like this was, you know, uh, Washington State versus Navy or something, which, by the way, would be really fun. Um, The other, I mean, the red team clearly rushed a lot, too. So this wasn't quite that kind of polar opposite kind of game. But still, um, I mean... When you've got one team averaging 15 yards per pass attempt, the other team attempting four passes, it's clear what the terms of this game are. Would you like to guess that uh, one or both of the schools involved before I reveal the answer? Um, 
I think Air Force Pass is too much. That's probably um, either, what, Navy or Georgia Southern? Maybe Army, but probably Navy or Georgia Southern. Maybe New Mexico. All right, you ready? Sure. Dateline, August 30th, 2014. Baltimore. There might have come a time when Ohio State coach Urban Meyer <laughs> expands his offensive playbook to include various long passes, reverses, and bootleg. Until his young quarterback gains confidence as the line grows up, the number five Buckeyes will likely count on the kind of conservative game plan that proved good enough to beat Navy 34-17 to on Saturday. Redshirt freshman J.T. Barrett threw for 226 yards and two touchdowns in his college debut as Ohio State earned its 25th consecutive regular season victory. Quote, the best thing about this game, Meyer said, is we won and it's in our rearview mirror. 34-17, wow. I, I, with that yardage, I don't even know how that happened. I'll have to go back and look at that game again. Pretty interesting game. Um, I remember watching this. Um, actually, I was home and watched this on television because my wife was about to give birth in the next oh. couple days, and so I was off the road. I remember watching this game. Um, credit to Bill here. I'm still going to call this a W. Because he, he called most of the game. He did think that the option team won. However, um, I think the most interesting part was that this was the game where Navy led it at the half, 7-6. to six. Yeah, and that Ohio State finally had some scoring shots late in the game. They scored 28 points in the second half, including 14 in the fourth. And that all was right, really so, the difference. So I pulled up the big box score here um, with all the extra bells and whistles in it. First of all, yeah, Ohio State did have a uh, long fumble return for a touchdown. I, I said pick six, but that qualifies, I would say. Absolutely. Um, so that was, that was about to be a Navy score, and it ended up being an Ohio State score. So that was worth not only seven points, but really kind of like 10 or 14 um, in flipping that game around. And then let's see what else we had here. Field position, if it was an Ohio State game, then I assume they dominated field position. They did. Uh, 30, they averaged uh, field position of the 30. Navy's was the 21. Uh, Urban Meyer teams are so, so damn good at field position. It's ridiculous. Um, Navy missed a field goal, lost a fumble in Ohio t- State territory, uh, meanwhile, in when they had a scoring chance, Ohio State went field goal, interception, field goal in the first half, so that's why they were down. And then in the second half, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's basically, I guess, how you would uh, take that game and end up winning by 17. The, they had the fumble recovery, and then they converted better when they had chances in the second half. Pretty interesting. I'll call it a tie. I'm not going to claim that one as a win, but I'll call it a tie. I felt, I felt that you would – Jump all over. By the way, thanks to David Wonderlich for sending that in. He was the, um, a, nice. a lot of you have sent in um, box score bingo entries. I'm going to try and get to all of them as we go along because I'm sure we won't get fresh ones every week. And if we do, that's great. Um, the trick is to – a lot of you have sent in very famous games of the last couple of years, but they're a little too famous, a little too obvious in the stat lines. We are trying to, to, to give Bill a little bit of a challenge. I thought this was an interesting game because it does involve an option team. However, I was worried once we got down to the 20 yards passing on four attempts that this would be too telling. But because I think of the circumstances of Barrett's play in the first half and the struggles that Ohio State had on offense, it kind of masked the outcome a little bit. Yeah, I've seen Navy win a lot of games when they threw four passes. So Yeah. Hey, hey, guess what? Shout out to Ryan Nanny. I've seen Navy win the... Oh, I've seen Georgia Southern win games. Excuse me, not Navy. Not even yep. Navy. I saw Georgia yep. Southern win a game where they didn't throw any passes. 
And on that note, um, we'll be back next week. Uh, we will record a little bit early. I will be in Washington, D.C. for NFL meetings. Um, if you're not familiar, oh, God, it's a really? professional football league. It doesn't yeah. involve college players. It involves college players when they've left to be compensated. What? Really? Huh. Yeah, I can, I can come back and better describe this whole professional football thing next week. But until then, um, any parting thoughts, Bill? Sorry, Texas fans. Texas forever. We'll see you next week.